Today's reading is Isaiah 2, verses 1 to 5. It can be found on page 632 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, for they will train for war no more. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Kathy. I invite you all to join me as I open with prayer. Our gracious God, thank you for the chance to be in a room together, even though we come from very different places and experiences. And as some of us sit here, you know, we we see the words of this story, and there might be some familiarity, but they might seem distant to us. They don't resonate with our lives. We might come with questions, doubts, or, on the other hand, with wounds and pain that we're processing not just, as a lot of the words have been up on the screen, not just darkness within us, but maybe we've been wounded and hurt by darkness around us. And that brings up all sorts of questions. Some of us, we might be here having been brought by a friend, and we wonder, is this even, are we in the right place? Is this where we should be? Others of us come with joy, perhaps family experiences that were very positive this week, and others of us come with answered prayer and a sense of hope and expectation in life. Some of us even, although there's so much doubt and questioning always in our lives, some of us might come this morning and there's a sense that you have been more real than you ever have been. And from all of these places, we look to the God who is the God of light, who doesn't give up on dark hearts and darkened lives and darkened vision. You move towards broken people to bring them into your light We find ourselves to be more of a mess than we care to admit, and you move towards messy lives with grace so that we walk away saying, we're more loved and accepted than we ever imagined in Christ. Would you speak to us in perhaps even a transformative way this morning with your grace? Amen. All right, so um, Advent... I think, I think the specialness of this day requires a little bit of help from Mr. PowerPoint. Let's see if it's going. There it is. I don't do, I don't do this very often. If, you're, if this is your first time here, this is, you came on the right Sunday. This is like the advanced version of City Life Church. When I lived in Michigan, I had a professor who... Um, he was kind of down and monotone one day, and he said in his office, he said, I have SAD, 
seasonal affective disorder. And so I get really down this time of year. And in Michigan, it's cloudy you know, for a lot of the year. It's, I think, one of the cloudiest places uh, in the country, probably up in the northeast here. Seattle is a competitor. Light. Light is a powerful thing, more than we would even think. You can go to a doctor, and they can look you over and look at your symptoms and say, you need more light. If um, you've ever been around um, a birthing center, a hospital, um, where kids are born, you see the lamps. We need light. Light actually, not just that I can see light out there this morning, and just by seeing it, I'm in a better mood, but we physically receive something from light that actually physiologically makes a difference. It's fascinating, I think, to think that way. In Advent, we're talking about the need for light this morning. And the the big words that ended this passage that Kathy so wonderfully read, it closes with this this call to walk together in the light. And so we're going to look at what Isaiah is saying here in this little passage. And especially... As we move into Advent and try to figure out what is this season all about, today we're going to look at how three things that, um, that our attention is drawn to in Advent every year. Three things that Isaiah helps us see. And they are a hope, a story of hope, uh, a light on your path, and the Lord of light. So I don't have my own monitor, which would be a cool technological advancement, but I'm going to have to look backwards once in a while. Let's see if this works. Um, They're all up there, but there's supposed to be another slide. Oh, man. I'm sorry. I don't know where I am. But if you could help me when I'll I'll point to you when there's a slide. (laughs) Look look for the fish, okay? This is supposed to go a lot slicker. Let's look at the story of hope. A story of hope. All right, take it away if you can. I'm not there yet. Right. <laughs> never, never doing this again. <clears throat> story of hope. Isaiah, one of the things Isaiah is telling us here is that there's a story of hope. I don't know if you caught that, and I don't know what your experience of knowing about Christianity or reading the Bible is. I run into two problems. It's very common that folks will think that or have been taught that the the Christian faith or the Bible, let's just say the Bible, contains for you rules. It contains for, it's a book of a lot of rules and spiritual insights, little nuggets, little things that are for you. And you open it up and it tells you something that's for you and God and then you close it and you are helped. Another thing um, that the book does, actually, you know what, I just said both of them in one. Basically, that it's a book of rules, and secondly, that it's mainly just for you. And what this story of hope tells you is that you are part of a story, if you enter into this story, that moves through you indeed, but out beyond you, always beyond. So if you look at um, the big story, it doesn't matter if you go to the beginning or the end. You go to the beginning of when God begins to work amidst a darkened world, started out bright with light and it was good. It got darkened. And when God enters in to start remaking things, he talks to Abram. And what does he say? He says, I will make you into a great nation. Okay, Abram's going great. This is about me and God. He's going to make me great. But then how does it end? And all peoples on earth 
will be blessed through you. It doesn't matter if you go at the beginning or you take it all the way to the end when you're in the book of Revelation and there's grand vision for where this story is going and it says, there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And then almost to the very end of the Bible, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Do you see how the story is? It's a big story, and it's a story that moves through you out into the world so that when we read what Isaiah is saying here, it's nothing new, it's nothing surprising, it's, nothing, it's not an outlier, it's the, the true core message that all nations will stream to the mountain of the Lord's temple. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. That's the story. <clears throat> and as that story moves out, it moves out, doesn't it, into a dark world. Last week, the question on the contact card that you can respond to, there's always one in there, and the question was, do you find the news depressing? You know, agree, disagree, and why? And someone says, yes and no. Many of the stories are painful and reveal a deep brokenness, but these extreme stories are rare enough to make the news, which is encouraging. Someone else says, agree, it's all bad things. The word news has become synonymous with negativity. Someone else says, only when I believe it. All right, there's some healthy skepticism about the news, right? And then this, I love this one. I disagree. I just watch the Daily Show and laugh. Those don't come with names, so that was anonymous. The thing is, we live in a dark world. And one of the questions to ask yourself is, if you have some kind of sense of you're in a story or you explain the world a certain way, you know, you have to deal with how do you explain the darkness in yourself and in the world? Whatever your story is, can it deal comprehensively? Can it deal well enough with the darkness? Is there light enough to deal with the darkness? A light that is persistent and doesn't give up amidst the deep drama of the darkness that we face. In the deep ocean, right, there's darkness, overwhelming deep, deep, deep darkness. And what do we find there? What do scientists find? If you can somehow get down there to to look and see, but there's this persistence of light, creatures that have what they call bioluminescence. did a little research this week. Bioluminescence, creatures that just create light. There's this persistence of light in these dark places. Enter the fish. Some of you have seen the Nemo scene. Um, That's a real fish. And I mean, that's the real picture up there, which is too dark to really tell. There's the Nemo movie version over here, which some of you, they don't look that much different. There's a real fish called the angler fish. We live in such a dark world that there's even masquerading as light things that are not good for us in traps. Do you have a story that has persistent light in the darkness? That's what this story is. It's a story that is nuanced. The Christian story is a story that when you say, okay, I'm celebrating Advent, I'm in the season of Advent, you have to grapple with the fact 
that Jesus has come and yet the world is still dark and you're waiting for him to come again. And the Christian, Christian theology has come up with a really complicated term to talk about that. Already and not yet. See, it's not, so, it's not so difficult. It's actually one of the most simple theological concepts that I came across in seminary. And yet, and yet it's very difficult to live into. Already and not yet. We always want one or the other. Oh, it's just too dark. The world's just terrible. Or, oh, Jesus has come and let's pretend life is all perfect. Already? Not yet. That's key to understand how we navigate this world, how the story helps us navigate a dark world. And as one writer named um, Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament professor that I was reading this week, I didn't bring the quote, but it went basically like this, that Isaiah, the writer Isaiah, amidst the intensity and the harshness of the world and of the darkness of this world hangs on persistently to light. There's a lot of dark stuff in this book. There's a lot of judgment amidst, or judgment against the darkness of this world and the warlike peoples of Isaiah's day and the oppressors of Isaiah's day. And yet here we come across this. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Do you have a story like that that can deal with the harsh darkness around you? So a story of hope. The second point, the Advent theme that we're drawn into this season is that there's a light on your path. You need a a light on your path. Augustine, do you think there's the Augustine quote somewhere here? I think it's next if you just click on it. Thank you, Lori. Look, I didn't need that. I didn't need that remote. Augustine said at one point, this is a riveting thing that he wrote in his confessions. Truth, light of my heart, let not my own darkness speak to me. I had fallen into that darkness and was darkened thereby. But in it, even in its depths, I came to love you. I went astray and still I remembered you. I heard your voice behind me bidding me return, though I could scarcely hear it for the tumults of my own boisterous passions. Can anybody relate to that? Here's the interesting thing about Augustine that's different from the people who were being written to in this passage is that Augustine is in amidst his darkness and he knows it. He knows that he's in a, a dark place. And there's a, there's a way in which he's set his heart despite the tumults of his boisterous passions. It's a mouthful. But it, despite that, he's set his heart towards the light and wants the light to come and shine in. The people of Israel that are being written to here are given quite the picture to enter into. Because Isaiah is saying, I want you to imagine, I want you to know that there's going to be a day when not just you, the precious, chosen people that are in the story of God, not you, but people from all over, the Gentiles, the nations, the tribes, and they're going to be streaming into the God conversation. They're going to be going up to where God is. He's going to be available to them. And then it's presented to them as being on the, on the outside, on the periphery, what, being invited to come into the party. They don't know how dark things are. They need, a, they need to be called back into the light. They've, the Torah and the law of God and the words of God have begun, become, become kind of old, tattered things to use for household purposes. and not, It's just not valuable to them anymore. The nations are streaming to it, and they're on the periphery. 
Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. I've been thinking about this passage for um, probably about a month, just, you know, just kind of doing the forecasting of what I'm going to talk about. And one of the things I've just been delighted to think about saying is what's right here in these verses about these peoples coming to the mountain and just thinking about how, how odd this strikes us and how strange of a thing it is to say that basically these people in this passage are flocking to the mountain of God, not for the grace of God, the mercy of God. That's, that's not what we're told, although I'm sure that's a part of it. What are they? They're flocking, the text says, to the law of God and the judgment of God. And does that, does that ring true with your heart? Are you excitedly coming this morning looking for law and judgment from, in your spiritual journey? No, that's not. And that's where sometimes, you know, you sort of peel away a little bit of our cultural layers and our sensibilities and try to understand what on earth is happening here. Because if we do, look at the promise. Look at where it ends up. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Is it possible that there is a lawgiver and a gracious, merciful, true judge that this world needs so much more true and good and gracious in his law and judgments? So much so that that thing that you, we all want, you know, we want peace, Right? World peace, we're all, we're all with that. Law and judgment, peace. What if he's the only one through his law and judgment can bring peace? Can have the, at the base of the UN, I think is where the statue is. I might be wrong, but I think that's where the, the sword and is being, you know, it's like a statue or sculpture of, any New York people can confirm this, of like this biblical text basically the, being bent into farm implements. What if, it's, what if you need some sort of good cosmic law and judgment in order for that to even be possible? It's striking. And it's not... It, basically this, I, just to bring it back to this thing that I'm reading that I'm, that I'm trying to inspire you a little bit to, to be intrigued by. Um, if you, this week, as I was reading the last week of, of my devotional guide here, the invocation, the prayer that, I, that opened and drew me in every day that I did this said, Almighty God, as you are given Jesus Christ to be, <clears throat> as you have given Jesus Christ to be Savior and Lord. Now this request, very interesting. Grant us now grace to accept and rejoice in our salvation and in his lordship. Amen. And I found that to be a challenge. I found that to strike right against the current, the salvation, of course. Yes, help me to delight in your salvation for me. You love me, you forgive me. Great, it's all true stuff. But the flip side of that, the lordship, the good Lord. And what does that mean? The, the Christian tradition of the lordship of Christ basically means you let his light shine on all of your life. And what it does is it exposes darkness. And what we prefer is a headlamp quite frankly. You know, we're talking here about the sun and the sky and all of its powerful luminescence and how you walk out into it and it's going to shine on you. There's nothing, you know, you can't do anything about it. It's going to shine where it's going to shine. That's how God is. That's how the Lordship of Christ functions in our lives. And we want a headlamp because where do those shine? Where I want it to shine. 
right? And where does it almost never shine? On me. (laughs) And that's a comfortable place to pursue God from. But where it doesn't lead anywhere. It's certainly not going to lead towards the the world that no longer trains for war. (laughs) So have you ventured as this last invocation for me of this past Christian year called me to do? Have you ventured to accept and rejoice in not just salvation, but in the lordship of God? Well, lastly, the Lord of light. We need a story of hope. You need a light on your path, and you need the, the Lord of light. Well, this passage in Isaiah, like many, actually, I think I'm going to need this again, like many passages in Isaiah, end up coming up in the New Testament. And this passage is not just something for the ancient people of Israel. This is something that Jesus, in his own concept of who he was, spoke of this in the references, John chapter 12, uh, verses 32. Jesus, off of his own lips, he, to a group of people who were very aware of what the prophet Isaiah said. He says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And as John is writing this, his comment following that is, he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The story of the New Testament is a story where Jesus sees himself as being the Lord of that light, that God's light has come, and that this story has entered into a new chapter where light has been dispersed. Light has been a, become available to all peoples and all nations. And so we read John giving his own take on it as he begins to tell the story of Jesus. John chapter 1 where he says, <clears throat> he says in a few of these verses here, verse 3, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then he goes on. He says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Now, Luke gives us an interesting picture of Jesus, Jesus' self-concept as well. Because at the end of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has died, he's risen, and he's now going back and helping folks understand who he is and how to make sense of him. And he he goes through all of the, the ancient readings and kind of tells the story again. This is how Luke says it. Jesus said, "Did did you not... Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them that what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. And then just a little bit later, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. John, Luke, Jesus' own self-understanding, Jesus is the Lord of light. 
And it's, it's helpful to know that kind of the first point that I said about this big story is not just about me and Jesus. And yet now we kind of come back around and say, but it, it almost always has to start <laughs> with me and the Lord of light. It almost always has to start with you bringing your own darkness to the light of the world and saying, I'm going to give this a shot. At least here, there's a promise of someone who, what did he say? He needed to suffer and die and rise from the dead. Someone who had, who plunged himself into the darkness of this world. Do you have darkness that you think Jesus can't handle? That he didn't come to shine his light into and redeem? There's nothing. Because he plunged his own light into the depths of death and came out alive so that the story could keep going out. Part of, part of entering into Advent, part of entering into the Christian story and the story of light, part of dealing with your darkness is just giving Jesus a shot, looking solely to Jesus for light, taking your darkness there. I want to close with a, a hymn and a quote. Both of these um, come out of this guide to prayer. Here's a hymn, the hymn called Christ whose glory fills the skies by Charles Wesley. Christ whose glory fills the skies, Christ the true, the only light. Son, spelled with a U, son of righteousness, arise. Triumph o'er the shades of night. Day spring from on high be near. Day star in my heart appear. Dark and cheerless is the morn, unaccompanied by thee. Joyless is the day's return till thy mercy's beams I see, till they inward light impart, cheer my eyes and warm my heart. Visit then this soul of mine, pierce the gloom of sin and grief, fill me radiancy divine, scatter all my unbelief, more and more thyself display, shining to the perfect day. And very simply put, by the words of Mother Teresa, what I think where this all ends up going, put yourself completely under the influence of Jesus so that he may, so that he may think his thoughts in your mind, do his work through your hands, for you will be all-powerful with him to strengthen you. Let us pray. Our God of grace, may you come to us in grace and shine the light of your love and your grace into the dark places. Make for us a meaningful season out of Advent this year. Pull us into the habits and activities of participation that, that we most need and bring some light into our darkness where we need it the most. Most of all, may we find a way to enter into the incredible dynamic offered to us in the Christian faith. That you take our place, the place of broken, dark hearts, so that we can take the place of the Son and be adopted as children of God, not by our own work, by what you've done. Teach us through this kind of grace and Help us with your Holy Spirit to understand it and to live it out. 
Amen.